You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. <clears throat> kind of a little bit of a, of a tough piece of scripture here. It doesn't sound like David's being very positive. Um, but as I was thinking this week and I was just praying what God would give me this week, I thought I would just try and touch on a subject I think is very near and dear to many of us. I've done two funerals in the last year, and both of them were by suicide. Both of those people came to a place that they saw no hope. And we look around us and we think everything's okay. We think that everybody's got this, and often we don't know what's going on in the person that's standing next to us. The person we're rubbing shoulders with, the people that we go to work with, or the people that we sit down and have a meal with. And it's a hidden thing for many, many people. And I just want to touch bases on some various different things. We'll touch on some facts, some t statistics real quick. Um, but I want you to know, if you struggle at all, you're not alone. You're really not alone. When I was a younger man, when I first got into the Bible and first started reading the Bible, David being a man after God's own heart, I thought that that was a very cool title and I wanted to be just like that. But David struggled with depression. He struggled with it throughout his life. And he struggled with it because of the decisions that he had made, the sin in his life and the iniquities where he had fallen short of what God would have him to do. Paul spoke when he spoke to Festus, and when he spoke throughout his life, he spoke about what he knew. He spoke about where he had been and what he had gone through. So today, I'm going to speak to you about what I know, where I've been and what I've gone through. The title of the message is Understanding Depression and Victory Over It. Let's go ahead and we're going to read the first four verses again. So Psalms 38, 1 through 4. <clears throat> o Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and my, thy hand presses me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over my head... And as a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. As we look at these verses, David is understanding who he is, what he's done, and how much of a burden it is for him. And like any other message, there may not be something that this applies directly to you. But there may be somebody that is close to you that this does apply to. I've had phone calls from three different people in the last two weeks. Friends, people that I esteemed, people that personally I thought had all their thoughts together. One of the men I went and sat down with for several hours. And what I found in these different situations is that the average guy can still struggle with this. This can still be a problem and you may look like everything on the outside is good and it's fine. David, here he is. He's a king. He's leader of a great nation. 
They said he not only killed his thousands, but he had killed his tens of thousands. He killed Goliath. I mean, what a great story that is. You know, he, he prepares everything for the temple, but he struggles with depression. Struggles with various different things. And one of the things that he's going to struggle with, as we see, is that he's going to struggle with his sin and his iniquity. As of 2019, uh, there's no current studies, and I believe from everything I've heard that the numbers are like a lot higher in these areas. But as of 2019, the last study that was done on depression, 19.88% deal with depression daily. 19.88%. We're almost at 20% there. 4.58% deal with suicidal thoughts on a daily basis. So 4.58% of us deal with suicidal thoughts on a daily basis. 15.08% of youth deal with suicidal thoughts on a daily basis. 60% of youth never, ever receive health, help. They never get help to address it. They never talk about it, but nevertheless, it's there. 50% of all adults deal with depression, that, that deal with depression, never ever get help. It's one of those things that I think in many situations we're afraid to talk about. We think that it makes us, for men, less of a man. Maybe it, it taints the image of who people think we are. Maybe we think that it's something that is ashamed and that we should not share this thing with other people. One of the men that came to me, I was shocked. But I related. I remember, go back to uh, 2018, and I'd just come through some tough times, and I'd been seeing Pastor Brown on a regular basis for counseling. I was seeing him literally every day, and once a week we were sitting down for an hour, and he was instructing me and giving me guidance and counsel to get my life back in order. And then on one afternoon, we're sitting down, and he looks at me very pointed, and he says, where exactly are you? At that time, I was working at O'Reilly's over here on Northville Road. And I said, the three o'clock goes by every day. I said, and every day I'm thinking about being out there in front of it. <clears throat> that day he made a decision and he told me, he didn't ask me, but as a friend, he told me that I needed to go get help. And um, it, was, it was a Wednesday afternoon, I believe. Thursday was men and boys camp out. And I love men and boys camp out. I love getting away with the men and just being able to just be ourselves. So I had called um, the RU home back in Rockford, Illinois, and I talked with the leadership there, and I had taken all the entrance paperwork, and I had done it. And after I had done that, they told me, they said, we can't receive you until Monday 
because that's when our next check-in is. And I called Pastor Brown up and I said, Pastor, I said, uh, they can't do anything for me until Monday. I said, so I'm going to men and boys camp out. And I'm in, mentally, I'm thinking through in my head how I'm going to get out of this. And I'm also thinking, I can do this on my own. I can handle this. He tells me, he says, you're not going to men and boys camp out. He says, that's a no. He says, you're going to get on a plane right now. You're going to fly to Rockford, and they're going to pick you up, and they're going to take you in right now. So by now it's Friday is the earliest flight I can get. I pick up, get on a plane Friday morning. I arrive in Rockford in time to make it to the RU Friday night program. And they checked me in right then and there. And as I was signing in that night, I remember thinking within myself, I don't need this. I can beat this on my own. I remember thinking about all the things that I had done that had got me to this place, much like David did. And I remember thinking, all I got to do is line up a couple things. If I just have this in my life and this in my life and that in my life, I'll be okay. And they had me sign on the dotted line, giving them the rights over my being for my mental, my medical, my dental, all my health. I had to give them authorizations to do anything that I needed done. And I did that, but I did it begrudgingly. I remember going home that night, going to the bed that they showed me through in the room that they showed me to. And I was going to be in my own room, which was kind of a special thing because most everybody had to share a room. But I was going to be in my own room. And as I check in, I get to the edge of my bed, and I remember a God that I had such a close personal relationship in times past that I had a prayer room and that prayer room was holy, and the relationship with that God was holy, and I knew that he answered prayer, and he spoke to me personally. And I got on the edge of that bed, and I poured my heart out. And I said, God, if I've got to do this, if I've got to go through this, I need you here with me. Amen. I said, I don't want to walk away broken. I need to walk away whole. Amen. And that can only happen if I'm leaning and trusting in you. We know that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And more now than ever, I knew that I could only lean on him. I had grandkids I loved. I have four kids that are my life. I have family, I have friends. I didn't want to be a statistic. I didn't want to make a decision that was gonna hurt other people. But yet I knew that all of my life I had struggled with depression. If we Backtrack, so this is 2018. Backtrack to 1996. 
I remember very vividly there was an altar here. And the reason why I remember it's because I visited it at 2 o'clock in the morning. I called then Pastor Steve Parker. And I told him that I was sitting in my kitchen with a loaded gun. He told me to talk to Pastor Winnegar, and so I did. Pastor Winnegar spoke to me roughly. And the words that he said, I thought that they weren't kind. I still think today they weren't kind, but they were what I needed. He told me to meet him down here in 20 minutes, and we would talk. And I said, my kids are in the other room. I have no spouse. There's no way I can meet you. And he said, meet me in 20 minutes or I'll read about it tomorrow. I said, Pastor, you don't understand. I have nobody to watch my kids. He said, when this phone, when we hang up right now, he said, the phone will ring. It'll be somebody on their way to watch your children. It's almost 2 o'clock in the morning. How does somebody know they need to be on the way? How do they know that at this very moment that I need help? Who am I going to call at 2 o'clock in the morning? I literally hang the phone up. Back then we had dial phones with little numbers or little round little digit things. You guys don't even know what those are, many of you. Um, and I hang the phone up, and as it hits the little button that disconnects the phone, it rings. Amen. I mean, literally, it doesn't even make full connection. I pick it back up. It's my sister-in-law. And she says, I just got beat up by my husband. I need somewhere to go. Now, I'm sorry for what she went through. But God knew. She comes over. She watches the kids. I run down here. And that day, for the first time, I face this thing called sin in my life. I recognize that because of decisions that I've made, that I am a sinner, and that there's this terrible place called hell, and that I'm going to go there unless I do something about my sin. I recognize that Christ already did everything that needed to be done, and all I had to do was to accept that perfect gift that he did, and I would go to heaven. And that night, I bowed at that old-fashioned altar, as I recognize all those things in my personal life, and I receive Christ as my personal Savior, and he's been a friend. He's truly been a friend. I'm probably one of those crazy people that you don't um, want to be around too much. I will talk to the Lord as I'm walking down the road, as I'm driving. I'll share thoughts with him. I'll ponder. I'll meditate, I'll muse, and I'll listen. And then I'll, sometimes I'll notice random things that just jump out and say, that's for you. This morning was one of those cases. Just something jumped out at me. And I was like, wow. But God's been good. So I got saved in 1996 but I didn't deal with the shame, the sin, and the iniquity until 2018. Now I'm going to tell you what I know. 
I met with the counselor a couple days a week. A godly counselor that was going to use this book to counsel me from what the Lord had to say about depression. I was transparent with him. And I let him know exactly what I was going through and what I was thinking. And I'm going to walk you through some of the things that he shared with me. But before that, I'm going to give you a couple thoughts and a couple ideas. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 9, the first five books of the Bible are the laws, the instructions, the rules, all those things that most of us don't want to deal with. But if we got those down pat, we may not get down the road that I've been down. There are some simple things. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 9, it says, And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. You flip the page a little bit. Chapter 11, verse 20. And thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thine house and upon thy gates. He's talking about scripture. When I walk into somebody's house and I see scripture everywhere on the walls, I'm like, praise the Lord. I don't say it out loud. These were upon the doorways and the gates. Why? Brother Brian shared a message the other night and talked about how sometimes we just got to question what God means here. Why would they be upon the doorpost and the gates? What's the reason? So you see them when you're going out and when you're coming in. So it's fresh on your mind when you go out and you come in. So you start and you finish your day by seeing those scriptures and those principles written down before your eyes when you go out and when you come in. And there's something about things that are said and then seeing something that is written. It used to be that you could buy just about anything with a handshake. Now... It's got to be written down legally. It's got to be, in many situations, it's got to be notarized. Because there's something about the written word. It's a contract. Our, our character, our people used to be that our word was enough, but not today in the society that we live in. So now if you want something done, you have to write it down. I did employment for years, and you would have to delineate every responsibility that each employee had, otherwise they would blatantly tell you they weren't going to do it. Work for a church now. We do the same thing. We break it down, every responsibility, every job that an employee has, so that they truly understand. The written word means something, and the first thing that I had to do as I was trying to get to this place of victory, this had to become my life. I had to try and live this thing. Now, nobody's ever going to get there. 
But every thought that you have, you need to have a verse that you think about that either tells you that that thought is correct or tells you that it is wrong. There should be confirmation for each thought that you have and whether it's true or whether it's not true. The devil is the father of lies. He is the accuser brother of the brethren and someday he will be cast out of heaven and he will no longer accuse you and me, but today he sits there. And him and his minions are constantly on attack. <clears throat> I didn't write this verse down. Give me a second. I'll get to it and make sure I don't, don't misspeak here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness on high places. Now this scripture is talking about putting on the armor of God, but this particular verse is talking about the demonic kingdom. And between you and I, and as Christians we often don't even think about the demonic world. I've seen people possessed. If you walk down, you drive down the streets in Marysville, you can see people that you gotta think they're possessed with something. Jesus dealt with the demoniac of Gadara that had over a thousand demons. Many think over 2,000 demons living inside of him. He also de uh, dealt with Mary Magdalene which was a prostitute and had demons living inside of her. Now get this. She became one of his most faithful disciples. A woman that was a prostitute. That had demons. There is hope. There really is. But first we have to recognize the problem. As we look at... Um, this and we think about the different demons it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood what's flesh and blood people we're not fighting with each other that's not our job we may have differences but let's have a conversation over it we're not fighting with each other your husband's not your enemy your wife's not your enemy your neighbor's not your enemy the devil's the enemy the demonic influence is the enemy. And I tell you what, for the people that actually struggle with this thing called depression, there's these little thoughts that are constantly being shot into their head. And it's a spiritual battle. The thoughts of you're not worthy. The thoughts that you don't measure up. The thoughts that you're wicked and vile. That demonic force that is around has been around all of your life. There is nothing you can hide from them. They know. They were present. They communicate. They're considered an army. They control the airwaves. They know what it's going to take to trigger you. And they like putting those triggers out there. 
as we look at this, I want you to think that if you've had these thoughts, first thing we've got to do is get help. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Your pastor, my friend, loves each and every person in this church. I've not known a man that was more well-balanced and loved God and people more than him. Honestly, I've had, I think I've been through four or five preachers here at this church. Pastor Stokes, Pastor Winnegar, Pastor Parker, Rick Berger for a little while, and Pastor Brown. Been through all of them. Pastor Winnegar could give you counsel, but he couldn't relate to you. I love the man, but he couldn't relate to my frailties and my iniquities because he just didn't understand. He'd been saved all of his life. Pastor Brown, he's seen a thing or two. And he's not afraid to share them because he can relate. And God's allowed him to go through a thing or two so that he can help the people that God's called him to shepherd. They say because of COVID and the fact that we've been shut into little homes that depression is much higher, that anxiety is much higher, that stress is much higher. The compression from the demonic world, it's higher. Just a thought for you. If you had read to the book and you knew that your time was almost over, and you hated mankind, how hard would you press to hurt everybody that you could to hurt God? And that's the demonic world. And just like we think we're close to the end of times, trust me, they do too. They've seen the book. They know the rules. They know their time is short. But it really is a battle. If we look at Psalms 38, verse 3. Down toward the end of it, he says, because of my sin. Because of my sin. And he recognizes that one of the reasons why he's facing this thing called depression is because of sin. Now, sin is what we've done wrong. Now let's go a little farther. You go to verse um, 4, it says, for my iniquities are gone over my head. Iniquities is what we've fallen short of. What we should have done that we didn't do. That time that that person, homeless person, needed a meal and we didn't have time. That time that that $5 bill meant more to us because we're going to go get a Starbucks than it meant to that person sitting on the side of the street. And I'm not saying give out your money to everybody sitting on the side of the street. I'm not saying that. You need to be spirit-led. And if we're spirit-led, then you'll know when it's right to do it and when it's wrong to do it. But the iniquities is falling short. 
it says here, are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. So David, the king of Israel, he's saying the things that he didn't do were so heavy that they were pressing down on him. Applying pressure. And often, we don't deal with the things that we don't do. We deal with the things that we do do. But we're accountable for what we don't do also. Often we miss the mark. God would have us go out and give that track to somebody that's sitting at the gas station. I had a gentleman the other day tell me that he felt bad because he realized that he didn't give a, a, a gospel tract to somebody at a gas station. I esteem this gentleman very highly. To me, it touched me that he realized at the gas station he made a mistake by not giving away a tract. And I'm thinking, how many thousands of times have I filled up the car with gas and not given away a tract? The, the things that we run short of, the things that we don't get done. If we look, just turn the page a couple pages here. And remember, most of this scripture all runs together. They don't have the chapter and the verses in the Old Testament like we do. We use it for just to get to our point quicker. Psalms chapter 43, verse 1. And here he says, judge me, O God. He comes to a place where he recognizes that he's got to be accountable. It's called personal responsibility. As I was in that home, my counselor, the second week I was there, he said, are you going to get serious? I said, I'm going to get serious. He says, okay, if you're going to be here, I want you to get serious. I'm like, okay. Everybody else left at 6 o'clock, went down, got breakfast, and they would hop in a vehicle and they would go to work. I told the leader, I said, that's not going to work for me. He says, well, it's going to have to work for you. That's what everybody does. I said, I'll be up at five. And I literally held on to the foot of the cross every day and pled to God. Held on to the foot of the cross every day. Now, today, it's just a symbol, just something that we're looking at. But at that very point, at that very moment in my life, it had so much strength in me to tell me that that's where I needed to lean on. I needed to lean on the finished work that was already done and not on my own. Every night for two weeks, I would pray that God would reveal sin to me so that I could make it right. So often we have this mindset and this mentality that we just blanket cover our sins and it's God's responsibility to forgive them all at one time. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my trespasses. I committed those sins individually. Many of them purposefully. Many of them with the intent to do it. If he was a judge, and he is, should I not give accountability for each and every action? And I spent the next two weeks 
giving accountability for each action. God would wake me up, reveal a sin to me. I would get off my bed. I would get to the end of my bed. I would pray for forgiveness. I would not only pray that God would forgive me, but that he would wash that from my mind and remove it from me as far as the east is from the west. So that I would never see it again. So that I would never deal with it again. I'm four years later. He remembers them no more, and so do I. They're gone. Gone, gone, gone. I don't have to deal with it every day. I don't have to deal with those same sins. I've dealt with those. So from my experience, the next point that we need to do is to deal with our sin. Take that personal responsibility, as it said in all, uh, Psalms 43.1, and just recognize where you fall short, where you sinned, and where you've omitted things that you should have done. Get right with God. Just get right. The next thing that we have to do is we have to get over something. It's called thinking within ourselves. There's a parable, and the parables in the New Testament, God uses them in order to give a heavenly, to discuss a heavenly matter with an earthly illustration. And in the rich man, it starts out by saying, he thought within himself. And we live in a culture and a society today that believes everything is about them and what they think. There's new terms out there. You live your truth, and I'll live mine. Let's be clear. we got to get to a place so there's only one truth. Just make it simple, make it easy. This is the truth, thy word is truth. That's where we got to be. There is no you live your truth and I live mine. Some weird concoction. There is black and there is white and that's why it's written down. So we can see it clearly and plainly before us. So often we choose not to and I did that for years. The next thing, I want you to, real quick, let's go to uh, Psalms 42, verse 9. Often, when we're dealing with depression, we're dealing with a distorted point of view. A distorted point of view. Here we have David. He says, I will say unto God, my rock, which is true, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? God will never leave you nor forsake you. And if he says that in the book, then it's a a distorted point of view to think that God's actually left you. But often, our point of view and where we get to this place of depression is because our point of view is wrong. The way we look back at things, as I get older, I can't remember what color the car was that I parked this morning. There's a lot of, th- I can't remember my kids' names and their birthdays. Last week, as an example, I've got a three-year-old grandson. His birthday is August 2nd, and it was halfway through the day. I look at Facebook, and I realize it's my grandson's birthday. Wow. 
So our memories are not what we think they are. But in order to address things, we've got to get God involved and say, hey, remind me of this. Show this to me. Reveal it to me. And I don't know about you, but I went back to my childhood. I went back to my teen years. I don't remember anything before eight years old. So I fear I'm not accountable for anything before eight years old. But I went back. And in that process of time, I truly asked God to forgive me for each and everything that he reminded me of. Now, it wasn't him separating himself from me. It was me separating myself from him. There's a difference. He said he will never leave me nor forsake me. But we, as humans, we get this burden upon us from all the things that we've done wrong. And now we separate us ourselves from God because we think we're not worthy. Well, here's an eye-opener for you. You're not worthy. But you can't get saved until you realize you're not worthy. You can't have peace in this life until you realize you're not worthy. You can't have anything until you realize he has everything and you come to him with empty hands. Simple. A distorted point of view. Why hast thou forgotten me? Now let's talk about getting some things right. Matthew 6.33, I don't know how many times you can read this scripture. I don't know how many times you can look at it. But in my opinion, you can't look at it enough. You can't read it enough. And it's one of those ones, especially if you have little kids, that they should be seeing every single day. And if they could get a hold of this, it would change their life. Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And too often we get so busy focused on all these things that we forget that whole first part of that verse. Seek ye first. means before you do anything. Now I'm going to probably step on some toes. And pastor told me not to share any sheep, so I'm not going to. But I'm going to step on some toes. Many people have told me that they do their devotions at night. And if that works for you, great. But this doesn't say, seek me after everything else in the day is done. If I don't wake up and get into the scripture, the scripture doesn't get into me. I have nothing to meditate and amuse on. And it changes my day. And if you're sitting there wondering why the ground's not broken up, it's because you think, well, I'll cover it after I get everything else done. And I'm glad you're studying the Bible. I'm glad you're reading the Bible. I'm glad you're praying. I'm glad you have a time of prayer and a time of study. But in the book, it says, seek ye first. First thing. First fruits. We don't give God the leftovers on our tithe. Why would we give him the leftovers on our time? But we do. And we all have our excuses. I was busy. Okay, don't make the pot of coffee. I tell people in RU all the time, if you've got nothing else that you can do, if you're too busy, one verse. Just one verse. It doesn't matter what the verse is, God can give you something from it. Because it's his word. It's a written, living word. Not that it changes, but that it gives life. 
So seek God first. Second thing, trust God. Stop getting to the point that we trust ourselves. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. When he says that something's possible, it's possible. Luke 137, nothing shall be impossible to God. Nothing. And nothing means nothing. Just like all means all. So if he says he can do it, he can do it. And you'll be surprised when you just commit to doing whatever God has for you. And he does something through you and you're like, wow, that actually just happened. I'll give you an actually that just happened. Coffin here. You're wondering what this is all about. Let's go to that one first. That symbolizes bondage. Depression and anxiety are bondage. But often those lead to this. It'll reduce the days of your life. It'll reduce your happiness. It'll take you to a place and down a rabbit hole that you don't want to stay in. But I had this vision in my head. This was last Monday about this message today. And there was that, this, and the cross. And I was thinking about Abraham when he was told to sacrifice his son. And it says, and he clave to the wood. Brian Hubbard, why would those words be in there? Because there's a purpose. He clave to the wood. And I don't know today whether you're cleaving to the cross or to the bondage or to the home or anything else that's made of wood, but we're all cleaving to something. I told you that things happen, and I don't, sometimes I don't even know how God makes things happen, but he makes them happen. And we want to give him glory for that. I was talking, where's, where's Joseph? Joseph in here? Somewhere around here? Okay. I was talking to Joseph the other day, and Joseph told me he needed a chair. New staff member. About an hour and a half later, I get a text saying, I have a chair I need to get out of my house. Can you pick it up? Okay. Settled, done. Wednesday night, talking to Joseph, and he's like, you know, we really need a couch if, if you know anybody that's getting rid of one. I get up that morning, have my Bible study, I pray, and I'm like, God, I'm going to be on the roof all day. It's going to be hot. I'm going to be sweaty. I'm not thinking about a couch. I'm going to let you think about the couch. And honestly, this is the way I talk with God, and I'm sorry if you think it's disrespectful, but he is my friend. So I said, Lord, I need you to figure out the couch and make that just happen. I don't have time to deal with it. So, and I kid you not, I can show you the picture on my phone. I'm up on the roof at 1033. I get a phone call or a text with a picture of a leather couch. A very expensive looking couch. I almost thought about getting it myself and giving. (laughs) But it's a very nice looking couch. And I'm like, wow, that had some leather conditioner on it. That would look pretty sharp. And it says, I'm trying to get rid of this couch. I was wondering if I could donate it to you guys. And I'm thinking, yeah, sure. (laughs) So I call up Joseph. I send him a text with the address and the phone number to contact him. And they go pick it up. I'm still thinking about this coffin, how I'm going to get it here. I'm supposed to pick it up Friday morning at 10. Joseph calls me. 
Now, me and Joseph have had a good week. I don't even, Joseph's not even in here, so he's missing out on all this. So he calls me Friday morning. He's like, hey, I've got a problem. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you've already had two problems. We've already dealt with those. What's three? He says, I need to get my driver's license, and I don't have state residency. He says, can you give me proof of residency? And I'm like, sure. Come back here, write a letter from his employer stating proof of residency with his address and everything on it. I needed somebody to help me pick this up because I can't do it by myself. Joseph's like, where should we meet? I said, how about Holy Cross Memorial? <laughs> he goes, that's a weird request. I said, well, I need to pick up a casket. So I called Brother James Bradley, picked him up on the way, went over to Holy Cross, picked it up, got it here. When I got here, Brother Phil was here. We needed four people to get out of the car because we didn't have a cart. Brother Phil, do you mind? So now it's inside. Obviously, that's part of God's plan, too. But you can see when, you're, when we're in the right place, doing the right things, God's moving. But how often do we choose not to get up with that word? We choose not to seek his face. I can do this on my own. We break out the big S. There is nothing you can do on your own. Nothing. If you want it done right, get God involved in it. Those weren't stories to tell you how great I was. Those were stories to tell you how great my God is. I did nothing. I picked up a phone. I wrote a text. God did everything. He lined it all out. Pretty easy, pretty simple. Give him the credit. He deserves to be glorified. No truth. Number three, no truth. Psalms 139, 14. Psalms 139, 14. You could just run there real quick, and I still like everybody to see the words on the paper so you don't think it's my words, you know it's his words. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works that my soul knoweth right well. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. So when the devil attacks or the demons come at you and they try to put you down, put them in his place, quote them some scripture, and let them know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm chosen by God. I'm elect. Out of the billions of people on the face of the earth, he shined a light on me and said, you're one of mine. Now, I'm not going to get into predestination. I'm just going to say he chose me. He knew what decision I would make. He's given me every opportunity that I've ever had. And I have a personal relationship with him. Personal. There's nothing I can't take to him. Remember that counseling session that I went to Pastor Brown? Now if I have a thought like that, I take it to him. And I know that the Bible says I'm supposed to cast down all imaginations. 
that lift themselves and exalt themselves above God. So there's a lot of things I should be able to take care of just by knowing Scripture and having it upon the doorpost and upon the gate and getting into it first thing in the morning. But he wants to have a personal relationship with you. In Hebrews 13, 5, he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So while you may have somebody throwing some garbage in your ear, some demon that's bound for hell, thinking he's, you know, living the high life because he's been around for thousands of years, he's bound to hell. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It doesn't matter your sin. It doesn't matter your iniquities. It doesn't matter what you do and what you don't do. He's not going to leave you. Simple. Truth. Truth changes everything. You think about Jesus when he was here. When he was tempted, how did he respond? With truth. He responded with his own word. So if we know his word, remember I said you should have a verse for everything? Then when those thoughts come to you, you need to have a verse that you throw at it. And yeah, if you're like every other man, there's sometimes that you just throw that verse out because you want to partake in that sin. Unfortunately, that's where we are. We're still made of flesh. But if you're getting into the word, then you should have a verse for everything. And he's not going to leave you or forsake you. I'm going to give you a last thought, and we'll close here. In Philippians 2.5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now just meditate on that for a second. You can have the mind of Christ. You can have the mind of Christ. WWJD, the little, necklace, or the little bracelets that I think, Stephanie, we had them when we were kids or younger. Kind of, sort of remember that, huh? And they were kind of a little bit of a fad. But in our mind, we should be able to see, would Jesus do this? Is this something God would have me to do? Is this going to lift him up and glorify him, or is this going to glorify me? And the fewer things that we have to answer for him and the burdens that are pressing down on us, the less likely we are going to have to deal with that depression. So we need to deal with it. Lastly, uh, Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read through this really quickly. Not because it's not important, because it is. And I'll pause briefly, but I'm going to try and get you guys out of here at a decent hour. 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Don't rejoice once. Rejoice twice. Rejoice three times. Because it starts with joy, and then a rejoice, and then another rejoice. So that's three of them. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So talk to him. And the peace of God, the peace is only found in God, which passes all understanding, you can't reason with it, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. This is the important part. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. If you just think on what you should be thinking about, then you're not thinking about what you shouldn't be thinking about. 
And that's really the biggest clue to it all. If you get up early, you seek God, and you think about what you're supposed to be thinking about, then you don't spend time with inside of your own mind thinking about what you don't have, what you're missing, what your physical problems are, what your mental issues are, the car that you don't have that your neighbor has, because you're thinking about what God's done. And that's where that peace that passes all understanding comes in, because you've got the mind of Christ. And Christ isn't up there thinking about, well, how can I hurt this person? He's thinking about, how can I bless this person? According to Psalms chapter 1, anyway. Last thought. Harold Vaughn said, five minutes inside of eternity, I believe every one of us would have wished we had sacrificed more, prayed more, loved more, sweated more, grieved more, and wept more. We can do all those things, but the grieving and the sweating will either take place in bondage or at the foot of the cross. And we get to make that decision. God's left that decision for us. But someday, we're all going to be accountable. We're going to pass from life into death. And we'll stand before a holy God. I'd rather address it today than up there. Because he says if he removes as far as the east is from the west, and he casts it in the deepest, darkest sea, then I'm not going to see it again. Because it's dealt with. And it can't give me shame anymore. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Lord God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and I pray, Lord God, that you would just help us as a people. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us victory and, and just strength over this thing of depression. Lord, don't allow the uh, wickedness of the devil to speak into us. Help us to capture those thoughts and to cast them down. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in our life, that you would be lifted up, and that uh, uh, your son would be lifted up. Now, Lord God, as we go to a time of invitation, I just pray, Lord God, if there would be anybody here today that doesn't know that heaven's their home, that you would speak to their heart, and you would give them the strength, Lord God, to uh, walk forward and to make a decision for you. I pray, Lord God, that you would be lifted up and glorified in everything that's said and done throughout the balance of this day in the name of Jesus. We're going to go ahead and stand. Just a moment of invitation. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.